I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, shall learn, to be content, shall content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything, shout everything, through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. God, please do something special in all of our lives, including the one teaching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you're just joining us, this is the last week of the series we've called Don't Panic. The big idea of this series is simple, that uh, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we ought to get some practical tools to engage and deal with life. And in one of those areas that we ought to have some practical tools is in the area of wrestling with anxiety and overcoming it on a daily basis. So this is about how we overcome anxiety, not just any anxiety, but I'm really talking about, I've defined the anxiety that we're talking about in terms of dominating fear and worry. Here's what I mean. The kind of anxiety that causes you to say and do things that you later regret. Or the kind of anxiety that holds you back, keeps you from speaking up, or moving forward in ways that God is calling you because you're anxious. I'm saying that your faith in Jesus ought to give you some practical tools to, 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 to deal with that. Now, we spent five weeks working this through. encourage you to go to our website, look at all those messages. Today, I want to really focus on what I think is the summary of, of the teaching of the last several weeks. And it's really captured in this notion that we pulled out of Philippians that Paul is writing. I call it uh, cultivating a contented soul. Come on, everybody say cultivating, cultivating. A, contented a contented soul. soul. All right, we're together on the weekend leading into the 4th of July. And if you look in our founding documents, you'll find a sentence that I think actually captures the American dream and defines one of the driving ethics for our Western culture. It's this. It, it suggests that all of us <laughs> have certain inalienable rights that among them are the rights to life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. Now, if you look at the uh, synonym for the word happiness, one of the synonyms is contentment. Now, here's what Paul suggests in this letter. He starts off, he's, he's ending this letter, four chapters of writing, in much the same way he started off. He's thanking the people in the church of Philippi for sending and renewing their support to him while he's in prison. And then in verse 11, he says, but look, I I want you to understand that what what I'm sharing with you is not out of a space of need. Because he then says, uh, for I have learned, everybody shout learn. All right, let me just circle that word right quick. Because if the apostle Paul was learning as an apostle. That suggests that all of us who are followers of Jesus should always be what? Learning. Learning. Very good. So he says, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances I find myself. Then the next verse, he says, 
uh, I, I'm not, uh, in the next verse he says, look, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to, be, to live in plenty. And then he says, I have learned the secret of being content. Watch this. Not with any and everything. He didn't say with. He said what? In. Now there's a difference. Not to be content with. He's not suggesting that there are some things we ought to be discontented with, right? Some of us have some relationships that we ought to be discontented with and we ought to move on, right? Some of us have job performances that we ought to be discontented with and we need to move up. So Paul didn't say, I've learned how to be content with. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've learned how to be content what? In whatever circumstances. Now here's the teaching. Here's the insight I think that Paul is making. He's saying to all Americans who want to buy into the American dreams, he's saying to all of us, he says, look, the pursuit of happiness is all about an internal disposition, not about external accomplishments. Let me put it another way. To find real happiness is to find a contented soul it is not found in how much you accomplish in the world let's prove it two of my favorite uh public personalities over the years both suffered untimely deaths one was elvis presley and the other one was whitney houston and if you do a case study on their lives, here's what you'll discover. That both of them were at the height of what we call physical attraction. When Elvis was on the stage and he started shaking his legs, women would just collapse by the thousands. And I went to school, I tried it. I shake my leg, but it just didn't happen. I don't know why. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. To you. When, when, when they used to talk about Whitney, what they said about Whitney was she had the face of a model and the voice of an angel. They acquired what a lot of us are trying to pursue. They, they were among the most attractive. Look at their popularity. They were known worldwide, loved, and celebrated what most of us would seek to acquire. A look at their accomplishments. They, they had, uh, they broke uh, uh, history. They made history in their industry over and over again. So they were at the top of their game. They were the gold standard. Matter of fact, the other night I heard Celine Dion and Britney Spears both say that it was Whitney Houston that inspired their careers they were they were industry standard setters they were at the top of their game shout top of the game i mean that's what we want in silicon valley we want to be at the top of our game they earned more wealth than than any of us could imagine and yet with all of those accomplishments they missed happiness 
and they still rolled off the edge of life. Both of their untimely deaths associated with drug addiction and drug use, which says to us that they were trying to find some contentment. So Paul says that we become, we find this notion of happiness by going inward, not by what we accomplish outward. So, how does this work? Uh, let me give you a definition. Let me draw it here. I know you were just couldn't wait till I started to draw. And let me see. Can I write and see happiness? Okay, I can spell it. Happy. How you spell that? Happiness. Help me. Uh, uh, some H A P P. What? Thank you. Thank you. Happiness, thank you, thank you. Y'all know I can't spell, I don't try to pretend. All right, and, and then let me try. Happening. Is that right? All right, all right, all right. Here's what Paul says. Uh, 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 here's what Paul says. Uh, uh, just hold this right for a moment. If you go to Psalms 27, you're going to find one of my favorite songs. And here's one of my favorite songs. He's put it up here. Here's David. Here's what David says. He, he knows about anxiety. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So, everybody shout so. Why should I be afraid? He says, the Lord is, a, is my fortress protecting me from danger. So, everybody shout so. Why should I be trembling? And then what, what, what you get from that is that David is talking to himself. Because yes, he he's surrounded by some circumstances that's making him afraid, that's making him trembling. So he's talking to himself. In the next verse, watch what he says. When, now notice he didn't say if. He says, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Look at what he's saying. He says, he says, if I'm in God's path, if I'm in God's plan, even when the enemy comes against me, God's going to protect me. He's talking to himself, talking to himself. Watch this next. And then he says, though, everybody shout though, a mighty army surrounds me. My heart will not, the Hebrew is, give way to fear. Even if I'm attacked. In other words, they don't just surround me. They attack me. I will remain what? David is saying the same thing that Paul here. David is saying, I have a soul contentment that anchors me. All right. Shout soul contentment. All right, David. So what does this look like? Watch verse 4. Here's a, how, how do I get that soul contentment? Here's what he says. This one thing, shout one thing. I ask of the Lord. The thing I seek the most. All right. Here's what David would say to you if he was here. The first step to getting a soul contentment so that you are anchored. Even when a mighty army is coming against you, 
is that you need to clarify what is your one thing. What is the one thing that you're asking for from God more than anything else? This one thing I seek most. What is the one thing that you're seeking for more than anything else that you're seeking for in the world? What is that, what is that one thing? Shout one thing. One thing. And David's and Paul's answer was different than Elvis and Whitney's answer. As a matter of fact, I would surmise that Elvis and Whitney made the wrong one thing their priority. They were seeking for the wrong one thing. And what David and Paul says is that the one thing that they are seeking for that begins to anchor one's soul is intimacy with God. That's what he said. Now let me, now let me draw. There's a relationship between the word happiness, which we also synonym as contentment, and happenings. Happenings. An event, events, happenings, relationships, happenings, jobs, money. Those are happenings. And what Elvis and Whitney did is that they made one of these their one thing. And what Paul and David says is that when you tie your happiness to anything under happenings, you're going to be in trouble. Because when any of those things shift, you come unglued. Right? But the reason why David is saying that even if a mighty army surrounds me, even if I'm attacked, I'm still confident is because what David is saying is that he has made his one thing not events, not relationships, not jobs, not money, not children, not health, but an intimacy in God. And no matter what happens over here, God's got me. My soul is anchored here. If that makes sense, say amen. See, you can lose all of this, but nobody can take God from you. He's got you. That's what David is saying. I know God's got me. He's clarified. That's why he says the most important thing in the world for me to do is to cultivate this. That's how I can... That's my first step towards developing a contented soul. All right? Everybody shout, how? I love the way y'all ask you questions. David's going to explain it to us. There are three verbs in this fourth verse. And the three verbs are connected to the how. Look at verse four. Put it up there. Here it says, 
He said, so, so this, one, this one thing I'm seeking for more than everything. Well, what is it? What is it, David? All right, here it is. That I may dwell. Everybody shall dwell. dwell. That's the first verb. Also a part of the one thing is that I may gaze. Everybody shall gaze. And then lastly, part of the one thing is, it's not highlighted, but it's right in the last sentence, that I may seek. Everybody shall seek. It's all part of the one thing. That the one thing I'm asking for God is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and that I may seek him in his temple. And embedded here is the secret to developing a contented soul. All right, let's take it one at a time real quickly. First is, dwell. Here he is. He says, here's what I'm trying to do more than anything else. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, when David writes these words, he doesn't mean that the one thing he wants more than anything else is to live in the temple. That's not what he's talking about. He's not suggesting that the one thing that you and I should want more than anything else is just to live here in the sanctuary. Yeah, what do you want on the 4th of July? Oh, the one thing I want more than anything, more than barbecues, is live in the sanctuary. He's not talking about that. In the Hebrew, the word to live in the house of the Lord can also be translated in the presence of the Lord. It's a Hebrew word beneath that. And the same Hebrew word that translates in the presence of the Lord also translates uh, 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 the Lord's face. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you see where God says, I'm going to place my name and his face is going to be. This notion is that I want to live in the unbroken presence of God. That's what he said. I want to dwell in the unbroken presence. In other words, my, I want my life to be lived in a face-to-face posture with God. That's what he's saying. All right, now, let, now, now so face-to-face, the face is the relational gate. That's how we establish relationship. All right, let me prove it. Come here, Pendleton. Let me prove it. Stand over here. Turn around the other way. I'm going to get to know him. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. What's your name? All right, Gordon, can we, can I get to know you like this? I mean, I mean, I mean, can we like get close? No, no, no. Can't can we develop intimacy? No. All right, turn around. Do you see the immediate connection? That suddenly when we are face to face. Garden, now we can communicate. Now there's some degree of intimacy. And the garden is looking at his pastor and he said, Wow, I didn't know he was as handsome as he is. And then you know, <laughs> <laughs> celebrate Gordon as he go back to his seat. Everybody shout dwell. So to dwell, to dwell, what, Paul, what, 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 what David is saying, and he's teaching us about what Paul's insight is that David is saying, I want to live a life that dwells. In the unbroken presence of God. So how do I do that? Shout how. Here it is. Here, here, here it is. Everybody shout stop. stop. 
in order to read your Bible and pray daily. That's it. In the hustle and bustle of Silicon Valley, you stop. That's the essence of the word Sabbath. You stop right in the middle of it. You stop. You can buy, you can, it's, it's, you can do, they got devotional apps, they got biblical apps, you can just, you, can just, you, you know, you can try, and you just take, you can start with this, this four minute a day thing, and you say, you know what, I'm going to take some time, I'll take about a few minutes, and I'm going to read God's word, right? That's just a face-to-face pastor, right? And then I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to spend some time praying, I'm going I'm to plug in, I'm going to connect. In the morning, at lunch, I know you find a time. And then when we pray, there's at least three things you need to be concerned about when you pray. Here it is. Proverbs 3, 6 says this. It says, uh, it says ultimately, uh, seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. All right, now check this out. Y'all, we're making all kinds of important decisions all day long. We're making decisions about family. We're making decisions about grandkids. We're making decisions about our jobs. We're making decisions about our health. But, 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 but what David says is that, is, that, is that inside of those decisions, somewhere along the line, we ought to stop and say, God, what do you think about this? God, show me which way to go. God, show me what the answer is. God, you're the author of life. Come on now. Before you formed me, you knew me. You knew your purpose for my life. Let me just talk to you a minute. Give me some, some guidance here. And then you go to Paul in Philippians uh, chapter uh, 4. Just back up a few verses, 6 or 7. We talked about this two weeks ago. He gives you the other two aspects. He says, listen to this. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about what? Everything. Everything. And then he just teaches you how to do it. He says, he says, tell God about all your needs and thank him for all he's done. In other words, he says, you stop, ask God for his guidance, and then bring the full picture of your life before him. Talk to him about what your needs are during the course of the day. And then also, but don't stop until you finish thanking him come on now for all that he's done and that's the full picture and if you do that every day throughout the day you'll find yourself dwelling is that practical enough shall dwell all right then gaze everybody shall gaze there's a second insight about how to develop and cultivate something we have to work on We have to work on it. We have to work on it. Gaze on the beauty of the Lord. How do you do that? Well, I'm instructed at this moment by wine tasters. As a matter of fact, I love watching wine tasters taste. (laughs) It is something magnificent about it. You know, those of you who might drink wine, you pour it up, boom. But not a wine taster. A wine taster takes the glass, and she or he pours, and they are watching the wine as it flashes up against the bottom of the glass. They have started a process we call savoring. Can you say savoring? 
And then when they stop pouring it, if some of you around, you say, okay, can I drink it? They say, no. <laughs> they take it. Come on now. And then they swirl it around in the glass. There it is. <laughs> they examine the color, the texture. They see the brightness of the light flashing off of it. And then, and then, and then if you're there, you say, okay, can I drink it now? They say, not yet. Then they put it under their nose and they smell it. They get the aroma, the scent. If it's one of those uh, fruit wines, they smell the cherry. (laughs) And if if you're around, you say, can I drink it yet? Can I drink it? They say, no, not yet. And then they take it and they put it on the edge of their lips and they sip and they get enough and then they wash it around and when they wash it around their palate is examining the texture their mind is remembering come on now the engagement with the scent and and the color and their imagination is being activated and they are experiencing that wine and 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 by the time they finish that half a glass you will have drank five <laughs> but after the half they full all right let's go back to the text when paul says i have learned to be content actually if you read the greek the word content shows up only one time in those three verses. The paraphrasing of it, if you read a New Living Translation, it shows up a couple of times. But really, in the actual Greek, one time. And that's right there where he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And the word content means self-sufficient. And my paraphrase of the, of the meaning of self-sufficient in this context is To be filled full. And what Paul is saying and what David is teaching is that we need to slow down through life and learn how to savor the beauty of God as it shows up through the blessings of God in our lives. When is the last time you've savored, if you would, your spouse or your significant other? When is the last time that you've stopped to reflect on how good they are, on the attributes that they bring? You know, you just reflect on it. You just wash it around in the glass. When is the last time that, that you've decided, you know, I'm not going to compare her to Beyonce. I'm not going to compare him to Denzel. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect on how God has shaped him, how God has shaped her and the beauty that flows from her life and her body. And you just, you just kind of let it wash around. Y'all ain't listening in your imagination. When is the last time you've just marinated, if you will, on the gifts that comes through your kids? Come on. I know we got to make sure they get their homework. I know we have to bust them from place to place. 
I know that we've got to make sure that they learn their manners. Yes, but when is the last time you've just enjoyed the beauty of the child, the flashing of the eyes when they're telling their stories? Come on now. The, 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 the sense of humor that flows through their sarcasm. Come on. You know, the flashing of brilliance in their mind. When is the last time you've just slowed down and savored your children? Come on now. So you work 12 hours a day. All right. If you're going to spend that much time working, why don't you treat it like the wine taster? Slow down a little bit. Come on now. Savor how blessed you are to work with the people you work with. How blessed you are that it's a fit between you and your job. In other words, slow down enough to experience. Come on now. The beauty of God flowing through the blessings of God. Paul says, here it is, develop the discipline of gazing, reflecting on the blessings and let those blessings reveal to you aspects of the beauty of the bless all. And so you're not just interacting with your kids, you're blessing you're praising, you're gazing on the beauty of God. You're not just interacting with your spouse. You're blessing, you're praising, you're enjoying, you're gazing on the beauty of God. You're, you're not just wondering about your... Everybody shout gaze. All right, now, now here's the insight. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, here's the insight. I said feel full. If you practice what I'm talking about, you will cultivate the ability to have a desire for what you already have. Did you get it? See, most of us desire what we wish we had. Most of us desire what we don't have. But to be content, you have to cultivate the capacity to desire what you have. If I lived in a $3.3 million house, and I told you that last week I broke into a $4.4 million house and stole the dining room set. Because it was nicer than the dining room set in my $3.3 million house. You'd feel sorry for me. Yes. You'd say, what's wrong with him? You'd say, did he take his medication? Say, My God, I didn't know the pastor was like that. That's how most of us are. We're surrounded with the brilliance of God's blessing. But rather than desiring what we have, we're trying to break into somebody else's house. If I say gaze, the secret is to slow down as a discipline and gaze on the beauty of God. The bless all as it shows up through the blessings. Now, there's a second part. 
Everybody shout the beauty of God. All right. When David went to the temple, what he saw was not only the internal temple rituals, he saw the sacrifice that took place. They were killing oxes and bulls all day long, making sacrifices. And when he saw that, he saw the beauty of God in the gory ugliness of the sacrifice. The first thing he saw was that a God who demands justice to the point that something has to be delivered. But then he also saw a God who's desperately looking for a way to grant mercy. If I shout mercy. And our version of gazing on that beauty was the communion that we just shared together. I don't know whether you caught it, but, but, but at the end of the day, we're rem- reminiscent of a Jesus, the Son of God, the face of God, who died to handle the justice question, but also died to create space for you and I to have mercy. Can you see the beauty of God in the face of Jesus? All right, so then this gives me the insight here that if I want to cultivate a contented soul, I got to stay connected. But if I want to cultivate a contented soul, I've got to gaze at the beauty. I see God through the blessings, but I also have to let go of old regrets. And I can do it because I now live in God's grace. Are y'all listening? So, so mostly we don't want to let go of the regrets because we think what wasted time, what wasted moments, what wasted years. But remember when I talked to you a few weeks ago, let go of the regrets, but hold on to the lessons. And if you hold on to the lesson, then it's not a wasted set of years. It's not a wasted moment. It's not a wasted set. You have the lessons. That too is gazing upon the beauty of God. Let me end it here. Everybody shall seek. I want to dwell. I want to gaze. I want to seek. Better word for seek is to inquire in his temple. It comes from a Hebrew word that suggests that one is so serious about God that she or he is trying to figure out what is God's requirements? What does it take to please him? How might I serve him in a more better way? What, what, does, what, what is the next stage of obedience look like in, 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 in my relationship with God in the context of grace? And my definition for grace is do the best you can with what you have and keep learning. Not just do the best you can with what you have, but do the best you can with what you have, and grace makes it possible for you to and keep. Everybody shout, keep learning. All right, all right, and then we, then, then so part of seeking is that, but also part of seeking is to discover and digest the fruit that is found in life's difficulties everybody shout fruit let me explain it pastor when I was a kid in Cushetta growing up around this time in the summer we'd go berry picking blackberry, redberry it seemed to me that the biggest, fattest, juiciest berries was always located on the wrong side of a barbed wire fence 
And so I had to get through the barbed wire fence. And I'd end up getting cut. Then to make it worse, it was oftentimes located in a brow pad. All right? So that as I took it in, I'm getting stuck. Don't fool around and fall. But, but, but I just kept picking. Everybody said, keep picking, keep, keep picking, keep picking. And, 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 and I got it. If I could get it back to my grandmama, y'all, she could make some of the best berry pie. Oh, it, it just, it, it just make you, it just make you shower. All right. Here, here's my point. In every difficulty, there is something in it that if you find it, it'll make you better. Let me give you an example. Franklin Roosevelt is considered to be the third best president in American history by tons of historians. Three-term president, Great Depression, most of the time he was president, and World War II. Well, remember the words that he spoke. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. That's when America was hit by, at Pearl Harbor and we thought we were down. The reason why he was equipped to lead us in that season is because he had already worked through his own personal Pearl Harbor. See, he was a young politician on his way up. He was a senator of New York. He was the undersecretary of the Navy. And then in 1921, polio came out of nowhere, struck him, and he lost. He became paralyzed in both legs. There was no such thing as an American politician who was paralyzed. He thought his career was down the drain. But in the struggle, he learned tenacity. Y'all ain't listening. In the struggle, he learned a toughness. In the struggle, he learned a sense of fight. And even though life had knocked him down and said he could never stand up again, he took some steel poles, come on now, and, and two men on both sides, and he learned to stand up even when life said you can't stand up. And so when he spoke to America and said, you have nothing to fear but fear himself, that's because he digested the fruits that came out of his own difficulties. So to seek God is to find the fruit. And so we end up with where we started. If I stay connected, if I gaze regularly, and if I seek for the fruit in the midst of the difficulty, then I can say, as Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content. For I can do all things. Through Christ, who infuses me with strength. Give God a hand, praise. Yeah.